here's my hope today. I hope that as we're sitting here in Port Washington, Port View Church, that as we look at God's Word and the Holy Spirit, we understand this, the Holy Spirit is resident with us. We talk about that a lot. He's here. And that His enlightenment today would shine in our hearts. And that as we walk through this passage together, we would also get a greater grasp to be spiritually enlightened about the supremacy, the wonder, the majesty, the the awesomeness of who Jesus is and how that affects who we are. So grab your Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. We're actually going to back up a little bit and read some of the stuff we've read already to kind of just put the whole thing in context. So we're going to back up all the way to verse 18. And we're going to read verses 18 through 23 with a focus on the last couple of verses. But let's put the whole thing together. Here's his prayer. I pray, verse 18, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What do we see here in the prayer of Paul? What we see here is that Paul, in a very, I think, a very systematic and strategic way, wants them to understand more about Jesus than they probably do. So he describes some things about Jesus, what we could say some characteristics about Jesus, that he wants all Christians to really grasp. And, and what I want us to do today is just kind of take those as individual things and look at these four characteristics about Jesus And then say this, God, illuminate this concept in my heart and my life so that, God, I'm not walking around limited in my understanding of the greatness of of the God that I walk with and I serve. And so let's join with Paul and maybe join with those Ephesians this morning, reading this letter that has come from from the leader of the church, and he's saying, listen, I want you to get this. Let's ask the Spirit of the Lord to illuminate our hearts and our minds so that that Jesus will become more magnificent in our minds. So the first thing that Paul does that he prays for illumination for as he describes Jesus for them, the first thing that he points out about Jesus is that he is the resurrected Lord. He says, God the Father raised him from the dead. Now, I think it's kind of interesting that Paul starts here. After all, who's he writing to? He's writing to a bunch of first century people who are serving Jesus because everything around him says he was dead, he was buried, and he rose. And there wasn't a lot of debate about that. The Romans tried to hide it, and the Jews tried to hide it, but the reason the church was, was exploding is because everybody else knew it was true. People understood it was true. I think it's interesting that Paul starts here. Shouldn't they all know that Jesus is the resurrected Lord already? 
And so when we apply it to us today, don't we all say that we know this already? If I was to go and ask people, matter of fact, Rachel described it here. She said uh, they all understand that Jesus died and rose and they wore crosses. And, and they would understand, oh, he died and rose from us. In fact, I could go to, to, to 90% of America and say that Jesus died and rose again. And they would say, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he did. So why would he do this? Don't we celebrate this at Easter every single year, the empty tomb and all that kind of stuff? And we kind of change it around and give eggs and candy. Not sure where that all came from. But, but we understand this idea that Jesus is alive. Well, I think this gives the reason. Why would Paul do this? Why would he start right here? Well, I think it gives us some insight into Paul's understanding of us as human beings. See, here's what I know about us as human beings. We may know something, but we really don't know it. We may know something, but we really prove by our life and our actions that we really don't know it. And I want to illustrate it for you today. It's a stool, right? Question for you. You know, some of you rich, you can't see that. Trust me, it's a stool. <laughs> If Jesus in the flesh, give him a little room so he doesn't fall off the stage. If Jesus in the flesh was sitting on this stool on our stage with me right now, and he had been on that stool when you arrived in service, you arrived here and then you're like, oh my goodness, that's Jesus sitting on that stool up on the platform. And he had been here the whole time we sang songs, the great I am. And he, he was sitting on that stool the entire time we worship him. Do you think you would have maybe acted any differently? Do you think we would act any differently than we're even acting right now? I'm not sure. Would you have sang in the same way? Now, I understand this. We engaged in worship today. You people brought the house down singing. I mean, it was, it was loud. You participated. But would you sang the same way? Would you have, I'm not being prophetic here, would you have checked Facebook during worship? I'm not sure if anybody did that, but I sat in church a while back. I was on vacation, sat behind another person who didn't know it, and it was an Assemblies of God. I was in a non-Assemblies of God church. And I sat right in front of me is a credential of somebody's a God pastor and his wife. And she checked Facebook the entire worship service and the entire sermon. And I wanted to grab her phone and smash it to a thousand pieces on the ground and I figured it wasn't my place to do that. But would you do that if Jesus was sitting on a stool on the platform? Would we get up and leave in the middle of worship? Would we get up and leave? How about this? In the middle of a sermon when I'm talking about the grandness and the greatness of who Jesus is, would you get up? Would, we, would I get up to get a cup of coffee? Would I get up to go to the bathroom? I don't know. Would you just sit attentively and go, I want to learn all I can. It's about him. Would we, would we give any different? When the offerings here, would I, would I, and I'm saying, I'm saying this is all about celebrating and worshiping you, would I give any differently? Would I greet people differently? Would I interact with people and they're saying, oh, I've got problems and there's no answer. You go, yeah, I don't have any answers either. Or would you go, you know, there is an answer. Let's go talk to this guy right here about the answer. He's right here. You see, I think we'd be a bit different if Jesus was sitting in this chair right here, right now. I would. 
I'd be nervous preaching. Oh my goodness. <laughs> How would I preach about Jesus if he's sitting right here? I'd be like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? You know? And he loves me, I know that, but is he going to look like, you got that one wrong, Mark. <laughs> you know? Would I be any different? I think I would. But you want to know the truth? You want to know the truth of the matter? He is. He is right here, right now, as real as if he's sitting in that stool from the second you, even before you got here. That's what I think Paul is praying for us to get a better handle on. That Jesus is the living, ever-present, resurrected Lord, that he is here right now, and that makes all the difference about everything. You know, do you think that maybe we would pray differently? If we understood that when we're praying, we're not like kind of, some, some people's our concept, that we're kind of like shooting words off into space. Would we pray differently when we thought rather that I'm talking to our risen Savior and I'm just walking up to him and talking to him sitting in a chair? I think so, I would. See, I need a better grasp on this. Jesus, by his spirit, is right here, right now. And Paul wants us to start to live in that reality. Church, this is what separates Christianity from all other religions. All religions follow the rules or the teaching, the guidance of some dead guy. That's what they follow. You want to boil it down? They follow the teaching of a dead guy. Muhammad, Buddha, Joseph Smith, you know, name the list. Or some very soon-to-be-dead guy. Some people are serving in religions out there that are following some charismatic leader right now, and they're following the teachings of some some soon-to-be-dead guy because he's only going to live... You know, I heard of a guy the other day who lived, died at 105. So he's soon to be dead, even if he's today only 60. That's in the scope of things. That's soon to be dead. But Christianity is a relationship with a living Savior. Jesus himself said in Matthew 28, verse 20, he said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He said that after he rose from the dead. He goes, I'm, I'm here and I'm now and I'm with you always. That he is alive, he is a well, and he is active in our lives. Church, we don't follow the religion of some dead guy. We follow a risen Savior. Paul's saying, God, help them to get that. He wants us to grasp it because it changes everything. Because he's not just sitting in the chair at church. He's alive with you when you're driving your car and when you're at home, and you're trying to figure out, what's this new math called? Um, Common Core? And you're wanting to strangle your kids' teachers. You know, he's there. Paul wants us to grasp this. It will change everything about your life. You know, I was thinking, maybe we need to keep a stool for Jesus. Look at the little sign on here. Jesus. That's right here. Jesus. Um, A stool for Jesus you know, in our lives to remind us of this all the time. That would be a good idea. Remind us Jesus is here right now. So Paul says, God, illuminate their hearts and their minds. Help them to get this truth because it will change them. But he doesn't stop right there. He doesn't say, oh, just get them to understand that Jesus is alive. He goes on in this prayer to describe more stuff about Jesus. And, and the next thing that he prays about, he says, not only is he alive, he wants us to grasp something more about God. He says, not only is Jesus alive, he goes on to say that he's also 
the enthroned Lord. He's a risen Lord. He's also the enthroned Lord. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, and this is what the Father did to Jesus, as he seated him, Jesus, at his right hand, at the Father's right hand, in heavenly places. He seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. See, Jesus isn't just alive. He is seated at the right hand of God, the Father, in heaven. You understand the significance of that? Jesus has returned to the position of honor and majesty in heaven that he left in order to come to earth as our Savior. He's back where he started. When we think of the return of Christ, we always think that Jesus is coming here to get us. That's true. But Jesus, as the, as the enthroned Lord, has returned to his place of majesty that he left in order to come in human form to be our Savior, to live and die and to be a sacrifice for us. So he's, he's returned to that position of honor. And in case you feel like this is a contradiction to the first point when I said Jesus is right here right now, and now I'm saying he's off in heaven, let me explain what is meant by heaven because I think we often misunderstand this. As a matter of fact, we talked about this Wednesday night in our class. See, in the Jewish mind, heaven did not refer to a place far away. Heaven referred to the surrounding atmosphere, the very air that we breathe. We see that um, very clearly expressed in Jesus' baptism when it says, the heavens are opened, you know, and then the Father spoke and the dove descended. They understood it wasn't something that meant something very far away. The idea of Jesus being in heaven was the idea that, that he is present, that the kingdom of God is where? We think, where is the kingdom of God, Jesus taught? It's at hand. It's here. So to say Jesus is enthroned in heaven is to say that he is enthroned here and now in the spiritual realm that is everywhere around us all the time. That's where Jesus is enthroned. In heaven, he is at the Father's right hand. That's not a place distant. It's a place surrounding us. It's, a, it's a, not about location. It's about his, the realm that he's in. In heaven, he is at the Father's right hand. And friends, that's, a, that's what he's doing. At the Father's right hand is a description of why he's there. It's a reference to his position of authority and power. To sit at the right hand of a, of a king is to be in the honored place of power and authority. And this means about Jesus, as Paul saying, God, help him to understand who this guy really is, our Savior, that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God. He is the power, he has the power to do everything. I want you to think about something. What is Jesus doing in his position of power? Seated at the Father's right hand. Well, we know one thing, he's holding everything together, the whole cosmos and the earth, and the, he's the provider. He's, he created it all, he sustains it all. So but what else is he doing? When we sit in this place of power at the Father's right hand, you know what the scriptures say? It says he's praying for you. That's what the Bible says Jesus is doing at the Father's right hand. Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. The risen Eternally powerful Lord Jesus is interceding. He's praying for you and me right now. That kind of changes things, doesn't it? When something goes wrong at the job site, you're ready to blow a gasket, feeling sorry for yourself, this is rotten. Jesus is praying for you. Do you ever feel alone? Do you ever feel like giving up? Do you ever feel that things are just too bad, there's no sense in going on? We shouldn't if we're children of God. Because 
This says, Jesus is praying for me. He's on my side. He's on your side. He's praying for you. Think about that for a morning. He's, from, from a, he's praying for us right now. You know, maybe we shouldn't imagine him sitting in that chair. Maybe, rather, we should imagine him kneeling before that chair, praying for you and me. Now, let me give you a little sidebar about this, because I think it's, it's worth the comment. The fact that Jesus is praying for us, does that maybe just say how important prayer really is? If it's what Jesus is doing in heaven, and he's got all this stuff to take care of, he's taking care of the entire world. And the description of what he's doing is he's sitting in, he's in heaven at the Father's right hand, and he's praying. If that's what Jesus is doing in heaven, just maybe we should push a few things off to the side in our lives and establish the practice of prayer. Just saying. Just maybe that makes sense in light of this. But Paul doesn't stop here. He says, you know, Jesus is alive and he's at the Father's right hand, but he wants us to even understand more about Jesus. That he's not only resurrected and enthroned, but he goes on to describe the majesty of Jesus that he wants illuminated in our heart. And he says also that Jesus is the ultimate supreme authority. Look at verse 21 with me. Talking about Jesus. He's as far above. He is far above. All rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is above, in authority over everything. He's over all the good, and he's over all the evil. Sometimes we have this false idea that there's this that the yin and yang kind of idea is true. The equally opposing good and evil forces is how the cosmos operate and the world's operate. Friends, that's absolutely not true. And Paul's trying to get us to, to understand that that's not the case. That Jesus is above everything. He's over all the good and he's over all the evil. He's over all the angels and he's over all the demons. He's over mankind and he's over the earth and he's over all the cosmos. He's the supreme enthroned one over all of it. Jesus is seated in the place of authority in this invisible spiritual realm and all principalities and all powers and all their evil works are beneath his feet and under his domain. See, the New Testament reveals this invisible hierarchy of evil powers who deceive and manipulate human behavior, thereby trying to advance satanic strategies. It's what we do spiritual warfare against. It's why we pray against and we stand against. And friends, Christ and all who are in Christ are placed in authority above those powers. No equal opposing forces. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is above everything. He doesn't struggle against satanic forces. He's not worried about what's going to happen today or tomorrow. He has already defeated Satan and anybody, and anybody who's aligned with him. Jesus is over. And when we are in Christ, we live within his authority. So Satan, to anybody who's a Christian, is a defeated foe. You just think maybe Paul thinks that's important for us to understand. He's saying, God, let them see the truth. And think, well, how long is it going to last? Jesus might be in authority today, but is there going to be, you know, is that going to not be true tomorrow? Well, the scripture says it in verse 21. How long would Jesus be supreme? The answer, forever. 
He says, not only in this age will he be supreme, but also in the one to come. Jesus is a supreme Lord now, and he always will be. There will be no heavenly coup uh, that will dethrone Jesus. And listen, friends, no false religion will destroy his church. So stop worrying all the time. He's in charge. Things may not act the way they are. People get all upset. What's going to happen to the church, the rise of ISIS, all this stuff? Understand, Jesus is in control. We do have a responsibility. He, he uses us, we we'll to talk about in a second, to, to advance his causes. But friends, understand, no one's going to dethrone Jesus. And no false religion or, or enemy of God is going to destroy his church. Because it's his church. And that brings us to the final thing that Paul wants us to have illumination on, to grasp more fully in our hearts and our minds, so that it changes how we live. And it's this, that Jesus, in, in, in addition to all these things he's talking about, as part of it, Jesus is head of the church. To understand this better, I want us to read. I want to read for you Eugene Peterson's translation of this text from the Message Bible, and I and I have it up on the screen here today. I want to read Ephesians 1, 20 and twenty three from the Message Bible because I think it does such a great job of getting at the heart of what Paul is trying to communicate. So let's look at this Ephesians one, starting in verse twenty. From the the Message Bible it says, "All this energy." issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven, in charge of running the universe and everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule, and not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. At the center, listen, this is what we want to look at, at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. And the church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. What an incredible way of expressing this truth. See, sometimes I think we forget just what the church is. Is And Paul understands we forget just what the church is. So he prays for illumination. We think the church is an institution run by men of which we select our particular flavor of. I like this kind of church and not that kind of church. And we make decisions on how much we will be involved in the kind of church that I like. Well, I like their worship and I like that preaching and I like their youth ministry or kids stuff and i'll decide on my own what part i will partake in all of it and whether or not i will partake at all in it instead of doing something else with my time friends that's not what paul knows about the church he prays that we would see things more clearly he says the church it's not an organization it's not an institution it's christ's body He's trying to get us to, he's, he's, in today he'd be saying, listen, you've got a convoluted idea, Mark, of what the church is and port view what the church is, and I want the Spirit of God to shine into you so you get it. That it's something so much bigger and so much, so much better and so much more wonderful than you understand. He says the church is the body of Christ. He is the head, the source of direction and energy and wisdom. And he says, and we are his body. 
And I love how Peterson explains this. He says, we exist to fulfill, to accomplish the desires, the activities of the head, Jesus himself. He shows the church, Christ's body, is at the center of everything in the world. He's not talking about the fact that the church is built at the center, like it has been historically for years, the center of town. And now we understand that those don't exist that much anymore and the churches are off somewhere else. They used to be part of town, but they'd be moaning, oh, when the church was the center, self was better, America 1950 was great. He goes, listen, no. I'm not talking about that being the center. I'm talking about the center of everything. The center of the world, the center of, of the cosmos, the center of Russia, the center of the United States. It's his body. is at the center of everything in the world. That the church is the avenue by which Jesus himself speaks and acts in our world. His presence in this world is revealed, and think of it this way in more military terms, it's deployed through his body, the church. Now we have representations of it all over the place, small representations, but we're all the church together. But he's speaking to this one local Ephesian church. He's speaking to the local church. He's saying, listen, the church is the body of Christ. And it's the church that God uses to reveal himself to the world and to be deployed, literally be engaged in the world, is through the local church. Do you think that just maybe Paul and Jesus have a bit higher view of the church than we tend to in our culture today? The church is the place that God places you in with your unique God-given talents and abilities. It says that you're not part of a local church by accident. He brings fullness to the whole by bringing individual parts that fit together. To bring wholeness so that he can speak to and reveal himself to a lost and hurting world. He says that's the purpose of the church. And Paul's saying, they don't get it. God, please help them to understand this more. He takes church pretty seriously. Paul prays that we will get a hold of this truth. You see, at Portview, it's not our job to entertain people. It's not our job even to dream up ideas. We never have a dream session here. Never have done it one time. Never happened as long as I'm around. We never sit around and try to dream up what's the best thing. We never look at what everybody else is doing and saying, what should we do? Let's imitate them. You know what? Our life is to be connected to the head. Our life is to be lived connected to the head, abiding with Jesus and then following, simply following what his lead tells us to do. It's much harder to do it that way. You know why? Because you've got to stay connected. You can fake it other ways. You can't fake it when you're trying to follow the head. You've got to stay connected. He's the head and we are the body. Friends, that's Paul's prayer. He's like, God, help these people that I love understand just who Jesus is. Because he's saying, in essence, I don't think they get it. And he's looking down the road 2,000 years and going, I understand that those people in port have to read everything through this grid work of everything that they know, and they can't know so much difference. So God, I'm asking you, let me be part of helping reveal to them just how wonderful Jesus is so it changes everything about their lives. And my prayer is that we'll see Jesus more fully than we ever have before.
not just somebody hanging on a crucifix, as you said the people in Russia have. They understand he is the alive, risen, authoritative Savior who is the head of his church. And that if you're a follower of Christ, you're part of his body. And as part of his body, he, he called you on purpose by name and he said, I want to put you right here so that you bring fulfillment to accomplish something that these can't accomplish without you. And that if you're not part of it, it can't function. Pastor Mitch, for the last couple of weeks, couldn't play the piano until the Sunday because he cut his finger. Cut one little finger and he couldn't play the piano. Friends, if you're not part of the body, if you're not functioning in that role, this isn't what it's supposed to be. And Paul's saying, if this isn't what it's supposed to be, how are we ever going to take the message of Christ to a lost and dying world? And he's saying, how can those Ephesian believers, Christian people in a hard place, ever make it if they don't understand? So my prayer is, God, help us to understand. Help us to illuminate. He doesn't say just illuminate their minds. He says, give them spiritual illumination. So in other words, illuminate them from the inside out. That we'd really grasp you know, I think that brings us to a pretty important question. I think the most the, the, the basic question is we ask ourselves is a personal question: Are am I really part of the body? Have I really ever um, humbled myself before Jesus and acknowledged Him as my Lord and said, "I need You. I need to be forgiven of my sins. I need to come into relationship with You, and I want to be grafted into Your life." Have we ever done that? Ask Christ into our lives and really given our lives over to Him. And if we've done that, we ask ourselves the follow-up question, are we fulfilling the role that God has created for us to fulfill in his body, his church? Are we fulfilling that? Do we say to God, are we afraid to ask Jesus, what do you want me to do? Because you know why? When you ask that question, very often he says, this is what I want you to do, and you know you're over here, and you want to do that. And if I ask, I'm going to hear, and I don't want to do that. I want to do this. And so we don't ever ask. Can I give you a little insight? This is infinitely greater than that. Doing what he wants in his power as a part of his church is infinitely greater than anything you can dream up on your own and go, but that's what I want. He's going, no. I created you for this. So we ask ourselves, if I'm in Christ, you know what, Lord? Am I giving myself to the body? To be, to be your body in this real time, at this real age, so that you can manifest yourself through the world? Standing feet. Dear Jesus, open up hearts and our minds to your majesty. Open up our lives to the place that we begin to get little glimmers, greater glimmers of your glory and your goodness. Help us to understand what you're accomplishing. That we're part of something immense. The church, which is the center of everything, your body. Help us to, to 
understand the magnitude of that and to begin to live in that reality. We simply ask this question as we close. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. You're in this place and you say, Pastor Mark, I don't believe I'm part of the body of Christ. I've never had Jesus as Savior the way you're describing Him, this eternal, all-powerful Lord who rules but I understand just a little bit more now that I need it. More importantly, I'm feeling something inside of my heart. Something inside of my soul right now is just saying, I need Jesus. There's a desperation inside of you. It's saying, I am I'm longing for that reality and I need to meet the living Lord. If that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something bold between you, me, and God. No one else is looking around. I want you to raise up your hand and I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to see your hand. I'm going to tell you to put it back down as soon as I see it. Because I just want to say, who's saying today, God, I'm going with you. Never ask Christ in your life right now. Slip it up. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Anybody else? You can put your hand down. Anybody else? want us to pray together this morning. And I just want to have the whole congregation pray a prayer today. So many of you have prayed a prayer something like this before, but for some it's the first time ever you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. It's not magical about the words we're going to pray. It's just us talking to God, and that's all prayers. It's, it's us talking to the one sitting in the stool and declaring our need and calling out to Him. So I invite you to pray this prayer along with us today. Pray this way. Dear Jesus, I need you. I'm lost and I'm sinful and I need your help. And today, Jesus, I call out to you. I ask you to come into my life. Make me brand new. Wash away my sins. And help me to become your child. So on this day, I give my life to you. I surrender to your leadership. And I ask you to give me a brand new life. And on this day, I receive forgiveness of my sins. And I thank you that I'm in the body from this day forward. Thank you, Jesus.